Welcome to the Heart of the Father podcast. We're glad you're here and able to listen in. We're praying the Lord will speak to your heart through this message and that you be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. No, I'm not, I'm not nervous. I just think about when we start really putting this stuff into action, that's when y'all going to get nervous. It's easy to sit through a teaching. It's different when it's really happening. But here's the thing, guys. We are trying to shift the culture in the church concerning conflict. That's one of the goals in doing this. If you could just grow like 10% in this, I would say it's a win. Just 10%. I'm not asking you to be perfect in all of this, but we have to grow as a church. And I believe if we grow and do this well, we will be a model to other churches on how to do this well. So just think about, we're not just doing this for us. What if we're doing this for other churches? Where they can look in and say, how did you guys do this? How come whenever it's voting time, you guys, your, your church stays intact? How come when there's huge conflict blowing up, and you guys seem to stick together? When COVID-19 round 24 comes, you guys just seem to like, wow, like, how do you guys do that? Right? So go ahead and open up. If you look at the table of contents, using that word facing, when, I, when you think about conflict, I want us to get familiar with facing it, not turning, hiding, running, facing it. But tonight, we're going to hit the introduction. Um, we're going to hit through chapter one, so we have a lot of material to get through tonight. Uh, the way I foresee these evenings... Um, and mainly, probably the, the ones that are coming ahead of us, the weeks ahead, is that I, at the end of the teaching, I want to leave room for, for Q&A a little bit, where we can talk about some of these things. You can, maybe can ask uh, certain situations or scenarios you find yourself in, and we can kind of talk through some of those things. Um, we'll probably, you know, you see number four, facing doctrinal differences. That's going to be a real fun one. A real fun one. Lord's going to help us in that. Um, but anyways, keep going. We'll uh, flip over to the introduction page. Um, I want to say <clears throat> there's, I referenced uh, the material that you'll, you'll see in this book on the, in the back of this booklet. There's also some notes pages, so if you need to use that. But one of the books that is probably the single most biggest influence and inspiration for me in thinking about this is a book called If You Bite and Devour One Another. Okay, you'll, you'll see that in the reference sheet. If You Bite and Devour One Another by Alexander Strauss, Biblical Principles for Handling Conflict. I read this probably three years ago, and this book gives language on how to walk through conflict being led by the Holy Spirit. This is one of the first books I read. Phenomenal. I highly recommend it for your personal life, for workplace, for the church, for all the above. Um, I just want to highly recommend that was really helpful uh, to me. So let's pray and we'll jump in tonight. Father, I ask and I pray that you would teach us tonight by the Holy Spirit the truth of your word. I pray that you would unify your people on the truth of what your word says. 
Pray that you would strengthen us as a church, that you would call us into a greater realm of peacemaking. God, that you would establish in your church the very peace of heaven. God, I'm asking that you would do a miracle. You would fulfill John 17 in your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's, um, let's read through the introduction together, and we'll launch from there. So the purpose of this teaching is to train and equip you to walk in your calling as a peacemaker. How many of you know you've been called to be a peacemaker? If you are a son or daughter, you're supposed to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. Being a peacemaker requires a measure of spiritual and emotional maturity in being able to work through conflict. As we all know, conflict in life is inevitable, and we can't change that. But what we can change is our approach and ability to work through it in a way that honors both God and man, man being the ones who've been made in his image. This teaching is designed to help you learn to do this well, and in doing so, it will not only promote peace in your relationships, but it will also strengthen the unity of the church, unity of the Spirit in the church of Jesus Christ. When you think about peacemakers, I want you to think about tendons and ligaments, right? We all have tendons and ligaments in our bodies, right? Tendons, they connect your muscle to a bone. Ligaments connect bone to bone. And what, what do they do? There's three primary purposes of these particular internal things we got, right? They connect body pieces together. They prevent injury by absorbing impact. And also, they're really sturdy. Your tendons can hold up to eight times the amount of your body weight. Peacemakers in the body of Christ are like that. They try to help connect, keep the body intact. Right? They're in the middle of that stuff, and it, they, they take on some impact. Stuff happens to them. But also they're sturdy. They're able to carry some weight. They can go through some things and they're not easily broken. And I believe the Lord wants peacemakers in his body. If he's going to do John 17, we need more peacemakers. We need people who feel called to do it, who will jump in there and do it, not be afraid. Yeah, it's going to be difficult. It takes courage and love and patience and all those things. But we need peacemakers in the body. We know Matthew 5.19, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Look at Ephesians. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That last quote, Alexander Strauss, he says, one of Satan's most successful strategies, and he's been quite successful at this, for keeping churches weak and ineffective is infighting and unresolved conflict. This is a life and death issue in our local churches. We're going to put our foot in the the ground today and not allow the enemy to have his way in this community. I know I want to see the whole church, the global church, grow in this 
We're going to pray for that, but we have to start here today. we got to make a stand as a body. There's four primary reasons why you need to grow in your ability to work through conflict. Okay, we're just going to, these are big overview points here. Four reasons. The first reason is the stats confirm this. The stats confirm our weakness in doing this. It confirms we're not good at this. So if someone says, hey, I'm great at this, you're, you're wrong, right? We're, we can all confess, Lord, we're not good at this stuff. We need your help. Look at point A. According to Barna study, pastors and leaders, they were asked, which areas of ministry do you wish you had been better prepared for? In 2015, 27% said handling conflict. That was in third place in that study. Well, they asked the same question in 2020. 40% said handling conflict. It was in second place. They asked it again in 2022. 40% said handling conflict. It was in first place. So pastors and leaders currently leading churches are struggling with this, especially during COVID. No one knew what to do. Look at point B. The peacemaking pastor's brother named Alfred Poyer. He said, he, he, here's a quote in there. He says, here in the United States, conflict is a synonym for congregation. In other words, if you're looking for conflict, go to a local church. That's what, that's what his studies are finding out. Get married. Oh, whoa, You're, where, where's your wife at? Yeah, where's, we get, go to, you need to go to Mary group, brother. Get you to Mary group. But that's a shame. That would be said about the church. It goes on to say, yeah, another study cites conflict and the stress it causes as the, leaders, as the leading cause for pastors involuntarily leaving church, local church ministry. It's a huge reason why pastors just quit and give up. Because they can't handle conflict and the people they're leading can't handle it either. And it's just a big mess. It's easier just to give it up. If you're a businessman or woman, point C, if you're in the marketplace, Here's just some, some, uh, some stats about what's going on just out there in general. Business owners, right? Number one, 2.8 hours each week. They're involved in conflict. This amounts to $359 billion in hours paid that are filled with and focused on conflict instead of, instead of on positive productivity. Well, praise God. We're, the church is not the only one struggling with this. The world is too. You guys can read through some of those stats out there on uh, points two, three, four, and five. <clears throat> Flip over to the next page, right? The second reason why you need to grow in this, in your ability to handle conflict, along with myself, is because our relationships show it. If we just took a poll in here, who in here is still talking and has a healthy relationship with their mom and dad? What about cousin and uncle? Who loves family reunions? Who gets excited? It's like half of us are like, yes, no, I'll just stay out of it. Your neighbors, the workplace, who irritates you at work? Who just gets on your nerves? Who do you not like? 
There's conflict brewing. Conflict is being stirred. What about here in the church? Who is like someone you just don't really, you don't really care? You, I mean, you love them, but you don't really care for them. It's just they're too much. Praise God, none of you came to my mind right now, right? <laughs> but our relationships show it. Number three, the third reason why you and I need to grow in our ability to work through conflict is because the Bible commands it. Guys, this is not optional. I wonder how much growth we could have experienced, how much the Lord could have blessed us on the other side of conflict. But yet we don't face it. We're in disobedience to the Lord. And it brings damage not only to our own hearts but to the rest of the body because we carry that stuff. I mean, we all know when someone comes in, into this, this church and they just are church hurt and you hear, you, you hear it in their language. It's obvious. But the Lord commands them. I would love, what if, what if someone came to this church and they started talking about the pastor at the previous church? And what if everyone's response was, hey, before you come here, go deal with that. But instead, no one talks about it, no one says anything, and then the pastor has to deal with it, and he gets criticized, and he gets hated just the, way, the same way he hated the other pastor. And so we got to deal with it. But what if the body was so healthy that you could discern and pick up on dysfunction a mile away? And to, I get, hey, I empower you, I encourage you guys to do that. You can start today. You don't need our permission, go for it. That would be so beautiful if, the body, if, if this body worked like that. Not that we're keeping people out, but we're saying, hey, if you're not healthy, okay, your unhealthiness is going to get off and rub on other people. We need to make sure you're right. And we're not, I even mentioned any spirits or demons they're carrying or whatever, bitterness, like, just go get right with the person you're offended with before you come here. Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with a few men. All men. Romans 14, the kingdom of God is not of eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue let us pursue, not be lackadaisical, not put it off for weeks, months, years. Let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. 1 Corinthians 7, God has called us to peace. Let's read these scriptures. We need to read them. Be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace. Right? Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Colossians, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called into one body, and be thankful. Be at peace among yourselves. 
Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's a powerful passage. As we're praying for rulers, for government officials, we're not just praying for them, we're actually showing them how we live. We live in a manner that's peaceable, that's godly, and to them, it's a witness that the message we preach is actually true. But when we are hateful towards them, when we're venomous towards them with our words, and then we say we're a Christian, Titus 3, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to some people. Pursue peace with those whom you like. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits. Second Peter, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, he's talking about the, the Lord's return, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blemish. All right, so the Bible commands it. The third reason why we need to grow in our ability to work, or sorry, yeah, the third reason, fourth reason we need to grow in this is because of the impending local, national, and global crisis that is coming. It is absolutely coming. It's going to get more difficult and more challenging. Not because I said so, because the Bible says so. Flip over to the next page, page five, Roman number five. These are scriptures that talk about the end times. And I know we, tend, we like to just rebuke stuff away and, and tell bad stuff to go away in Jesus' name. Can I tell you, don't do that. Because these scriptures talk about this stuff is coming. And I know it's easy just to wish it, was, wish it away and, and it not to come. Guys, it's coming. Now, if it's in your house, okay, rebuke it. If it's in your life, rebuke it. But the stuff happening in the world, it's going to happen. But we get so bent out of shape, and we're just so crazy. We have no peace, no joy, none of those things. Let's, let's read some of these. Matthew 24, we know this. Nations will rise against nation. What do we think that's going to look like? Like we never heard, like 
We didn't know nations were warring and it never touches our land. Like, no, it's going to be all over the news. They're going to talk about it in the workplace. You're going to see it on your phone. It's going to happen to this nation. I mean, we're not excluded in Matthew 24. The USA is not excluded from Matthew 24. Nations warring against nations. There will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning. It's the beginning. They'll deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended. They'll betray one another. They'll hate one another. False prophets are going to be preaching, deceiving people. Lawlessness will abound. Love will grow cold. Guys, what's that look? To me, that just screams conflict all around us. We will not be able to get away from it. And you can, you can cast it away or you can try to rebuke it. It's coming. You guys need to go home and read the rest of these. We're not going to read through all of them. I kind of want to, though. 2 Timothy, look at the bottom one on the left. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying his power. The next page, 2 Peter 3, he says, knowing this, that scoffers, they will come in the last days. Who do you think the scoffers are going to be scoffing at? The church. You and me. How are you going to respond when they're scoffing at you personally? How are we going to respond when they line up around the church and they're scoffing at us? Saying, where is this Christ? Said he was coming. He's not coming. What are we going to do? We're going to get our guns and knives out and cut him and shoot him? Get rid of him? We're going to avoid him? It's coming. But here's the thing. The DNA and the culture within the church should be polar opposite of what it looks like in the world. When they come into these gatherings and they're going to, they're going to see the love of God, they're going to see the power of God, they're going to see righteousness, they're going to see a people of peace who have hope, who walk in light, who speak the truth in love. That's what they're going to see when they walk into the church. That's what they should see. They should see a whole different world. It should, when they walk into the church, it should look nothing like what they just walked out of. They'll come into this culture of, wait, okay, God's kingdom, what, what's it like? There's, there's love, there's grace, there's peace, there's mercy. 
Instead of most of the time, they go from out there into here, and they're like, oh, yeah, you guys are, you guys do the same out there, you just keep it quiet. You don't tell no one. Gosh, there was a, there was a, a rapper. I forgot, I forgot who it was. He slipped in my mind. He used to go to church when he was young, and he ended up leaving the church as he got older. And the reason he said he left the church, he said, I left the church because what, what I was doing as a, in the gang, it's the same in here. Nothing's different. Gossip, slander, hate each other. But you guys just go to each other and smile. He's like, I don't want that. Turn to the next page. Look at Acts 9, verse 31. Top of page, Roman number 7. It says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, Samaria, had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the, the Holy Spirit, and they were multiplied. Guys, that is a prophetic picture of what the church is going to look like. And we have a, a huge opportunity to start doing that now. Where the, the peace of the Holy Spirit, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the fear of the Lord is normal and it's natural. Where there's a harmony, where there's a working together, there's a oneness. Okay, chapter one. Are we okay? Do we need to pause? We need to close up tonight and come back tomorrow or next week? <laughs> Facing the conflict within. So before we get into talking about conflict with a brother, a sister, a leader, doctrinal differences, all of that stuff, we first need to deal with the conflict that's within you. What I've learned in just helping out people walk through conflict they have with a brother or sister, most of the time, not all the time, the conflict is not with the other brother or sister. It's with, it's with their own heart. It's what God is doing in them, but they want to blame someone else. They, haven't, they have no peace in their walk with God. They're irritated, they're frustrated, they're discouraged, they're anxious, they're in fear. There's just a whole bunch of stuff that's not of the Lord in here. And when you walk around and you carry that, of course, you offend me. Of course I feel left out. Of course, of course, none of my expectations are met. Because it's a hot mess on the inside. So think about the conflict that's within you. And really, it has nothing to do with anyone else. It's between you and God. Especially, especially if you're in your 20s. There's going to be a lot of conflict. God's not moving fast enough. He's moving too slow. You're ready for the call of God, but really you're not. But God has a purpose in the con with the conflict that's within you. He has a divine purpose. Think about your life. Think about the internal conflict, the stuff you face and you battle every day. There's a purpose in that. God is trying to perfect you. He's trying to mature you. He's trying to make you look like Christ Jesus. 
So, before you start blaming the pastors and that person and those people and doctrinal differences, all that stuff, I'm telling you, it's all right here. So, what's really important is for us to experience the gospel of Jesus again and again and again and again. It's, it's concerning how, how much, how little peace Christians walk in. Because it's the very thing the gospel offers. Right? We paint the picture. Okay, uh, Romans chapter 3, right? It goes on to say, There was none righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God. Right? We've all turned aside. We're unprofitable. We don't do good. Our throat's an open tomb. With our tongues, we've practiced deceit. The poison of asp is on our lips. Our mouth is full of cursing, bitterness. Our feet are swift to shed blood, destruction, and misery. The ways we walk in. And the way of peace we have not known. Right, this is the gospel where this is our lives pre-Christ. Romans 5.10, we were enemies with, of, of God. Ephesians 2 says we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were under demonic influence. We were under demonic possession. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon us. In that last verse, the wrath of God abides on the one who does not know Jesus. Next page. But, praise God. Thank God Jesus atoned for our sins. He atoned for everything. He has made a way for us to be in a right relationship with God. This forever change, this is a game changer. That now, you and the Father, he, there's no more hostility He has towards you. He doesn't look at you and think about releasing his wrath upon you. He's not frustrated with you, consistently disappointed in you, irritated with you. No. What's the scripture say? Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have, say it with me, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Romans 5.10, it goes on to say, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. In other words, joy, peace, and righteousness should dominate your relationship with the Father. Those should be the defining attributes in your walk with God. Not chaos, not fear, not anxiety, not frustration, not irritation, not disgruntled, not grumbling, not complaining, not lost, not wandering. None of those things. Instead, peace. But how many of us would actually be like, like yeah, oh, that's absolutely, brother. 
joy, love. I mean, it's, it's convicting to me. So the point is, you and I, we need to hear the gospel again. We need to learn to preach the gospel to ourselves because most of us, we don't really believe it. You don't. You believe your emotions. You believe your pre-Christ thinking. You don't believe the gospel. Because if you did, if you believed it and you received it every day, you would walk in a supernatural measure of peace and grace and love and truth, light, righteousness, joy. You would. That's available for all of us. It's not for the elite. It's for those who, early in the morning, they've trained themselves to sit before the Father and say, God, I believe in your gospel. I believe your testimony of Jesus more than I believe my emotions or what I think it might say. No, this word says, I have peace with God through Christ. I have access by faith. I rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So if you don't have peace with God, it's not God's fault. I mean, he, he's, he's made it very clear, hey, my peace is accessible 24-7. No matter what you're going through, 24-7. It doesn't depend on the situation, the circumstance. doesn't matter. Peace is available. C.S. Lewis, right there in the middle, he said, God cannot give us or, yeah, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Charles Spurgeon, great thoughts of your sin alone will drive you to despair, but great thoughts of Christ will pilot you into the heaven of peace. So if you're lacking peace in your life, you need a revelation of Christ Jesus. Not a revelation of you, your problems. D- give me some insight. No, no, no. Sit down with the Lord. Lord, I need to hear your gospel again. I'm not living it. I'm out of whack. So what is peace? <clears throat> There's two words. We know that the Hebrew word, the Old Testament word, shalom. New Testament, it's Irene. It's the sense of tranquility, a sense of calm without anxiety or stress. To be safe and calm in mind, body, or estate. That word estate means like your home, your physical place, your possessions God has given you. There should be a realm of peace in your home. The sense of restful inner calm, wholeness and completeness. This kind of peace is unique in that It is everlasting and flawless, and its source is God. The reason it's everlasting and flawless is because God is peace. He hasn't changed his mind. He's not shifting his attitude. His emotional state is not like you and I's where it's like, he is steady, eddy, faithful, and true. Peace is one of the words that God speaks to us every single day. Look on page three. I know when you guys read, we read the New Testament and you just kind of skip over the intro, right? 
of every, every New Testament letter. Here's what, <laughs> right? If you take out the Gospels and you take out four, other letter, four letters of the New Testament, the rest of the New Testament, overwhelmingly more than the majority of the New Testament, they have this introduction and it says this, grace to you and peace from who? So what's God saying to you? So this morning you woke up, what did God say to you? And what about tomorrow morning? We'll get coffee, might be in the next one. <laughs> Hurry. And what's he going to say to you tomorrow? And what's he going to say the next day? And the next day. And the next day. This is, now you might say, well, Brandon, that's Paul saying that. No. Paul was actually praying for the church. And he's like, God, I'm praying for this church. Corinthians, oh gosh, you got a man sleeping with his father's wife. Oh, Lord, I'm praying, God, what do you want me to, I'm about to write this letter. I'm going to pin it. The first couple, what, what do I say? The father says, tell him grace and peace. Grace and peace from the father. Grace and peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm like, Lord, you sure, Lord? Like, you know why the Father speaks that? Because he loves to magnify the work of Christ. He loves to magnify Jesus. And when you magnify the Lord, I mean, you just can't help but walk in the benefits of the Lord. Psalm 103. The benefits of walking with him, of knowing him, they're free. You don't have to pay me. You ain't got to pay anyone. They're free. The Father wants to give those things to us. And when we look at Jesus, they're free. Peace for your life is free. He speaks it to you every single day. If you don't get anything out of this session one today, this is what I want you to get. God is saying grace and peace to you every single day. This is why it's good for you to hear the gospel every single day. I remember I used to wake up and I would just start repenting to God. And I would just try to think of something. And I remember one morning, he told me, he said, Brandon, stop repenting. If you're going to repent to me, be specific. I just woke up. I, just, I slept. I didn't have a bad dream or nothing. I just had a good night's sleep. I wake up, and I just felt like I just needed to repent. He's like, stop doing that. But, like, you know what I was doing? I was believing Brandon's gospel. I wasn't believing God's gospel. That's what I was doing. I was thinking, okay, God, how can I make you feel good about me, God? Okay, I'm sorry. He's like, stop doing that. Doesn't do anything. You're magnifying yourself. Stop doing that. You're making so much of yourself and so very little of Christ. When you start believing in Jesus, <laughs> it changes everything. You're not works-based. You're, you're not led by your emotions all the time. You look at the word of God, and the word of God instructs you. Thank <clears throat> you.
That is true peace. So the peace of God is never situational or circumstantial. Our peace is founded upon the fact that he himself is peace, and he is always present and near to us no matter where we are or what we may be facing. When we choose to abide in him, we simply walk in the benefits of knowing him. I hope that helps some of you sleep in peace tonight. Just to, all this pressure, all this tension, the frustration, irritation, chaos, craziness, all that stuff that like is just running. Okay, next section here. Let's get into the behavior and tendencies shown in conflict. So, if you, don't, if you don't walk in the Lord's peace and understand that it's available to you every day, you will most likely walk in the flesh. And then when it comes to conflict, you're easily triggered. It don't take much to get you on fire in the flesh. Here are some of the works of the flesh. When, when it comes to conflict, we, we can all say we've done this before, but I'm, I'm believing we won't continue on in these, these things. When there's conflict, there's we operate in enmity, strife and jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, disorder. Those are absolutely contrary to the way of peace. In fact, when you read the New Testament, like, it just doesn't make sense that you like, live and operate in those things. Like that, that, those are pre-Christ tendencies, right? Those should be your pre, like you should be able to say, oh, I used to do that. Oh man, I used to be so bad at that. I always get jealous. Oh, fits of anger. Oh, envy, disorder, conceit. Oh God, I always used to do that. Now, definitely not as much as I used to. I maybe got some weak areas. Look at this first quote. The one thing Christian believers are not to do when engaged in conflict is to revert back to our old pre-conversion flesh-driven ways. Beautiful. Corinthians, right? And such were some of you. That's Colossians, the next one in which you yourselves once walked, but now you don't. Next page. So we should be putting off the works of the flesh, not putting them on when conflict arises. We should not be easily triggered, easily offended, quick to blow up. That's your pre-Christ nature. Have you not been crucified with Christ? Ephesians, it says that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Right? You should put that off. That's your former conduct. I want to read this to you. 1 Peter it's not on your sheet there. 1 Peter 4, verse 4, or verse 3. It says, Peter says, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime 
in, do, in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunken, drunkenness, revelries, drinking part, abominable idolatries, in regard to these things, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. Meaning, we used to do that stuff. And now that we don't do that stuff with those people, they actually think it's strange. Like, what happened to you? Man, you used to be the biggest gossiper. <laughs> you used to be so conceited. And what, now you're not? Yeah, you're right, I'm not. But it's so, it's so, guys, it's so confusing to the world when they do that out there and we preach about transformation, love, and God's made us new and did something special in us. And they come in here and they see the same stuff they're doing. That is a huge discredit to the gospel and its power. That is a huge turnoff. So, it is not the will of God. Okay, I want to be very clear. It is not the will of God for you to act in the flesh when conflict arises. If you agree with that, can you raise your hand? I just want to see. I'm going to take a poll here real quick. Okay, I think most. It is not God's will for you. Flip back to page three. To operate in that, the works of the flesh, that is not God's will. <clears throat> you are not being spirit-led. I get it. You think God has given you a special license to do what you need to do to get your way and to win. But God has not given you that right. He never will. You know what right he's given you? He's given you the right to be a son and to act like a son. He's given you the right to be a daughter and to act like a daughter. He's given you the right to call upon his name to help you. Now, I'm not saying you can't ex ever express emotion, right? We're not robots. But when your emotions cause you to hurt other people, that is a no-no. That, is, that, is, that will never be spirit-led, okay? Just going on public record. That will never be spirit-led when you use your emotions to hurt other people, to lash out at them, to, that is not spirit-led. Even for pastors and leaders who are preaching the word, to, to get frustrated and just start, that is not spirit-led. You have the right to call leaders out. You have the right to call me out if you think I'm doing that. No one has the right to just operate in the flesh and just think they can do what they want and then say, oh, well, God, you know, God gave me a vision or God gave me a word. Guys, that, no. He may have given you a, a vision or a word, but you totally walked it out wrong. That was, was wrong. So we need to walk it back. You've got to repent for how you <laughs> delivered it or how, you, how you've been operating. And then let's, let's, let's start over and you can deliver the word, the vision, etc. So here how, here's how God expects us to operate when it comes to conflict. The fruit of the Spirit. Wow. It's incredible. Love and joy. Peace. And patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now the joy one might sound a little odd, but 1 Corinthians 13 says that love rejoices in the truth. There is a place in the midst of conflict where the truth is something that you should be glad about. 
You may not need to stand up and celebrate in the meeting while you're handling conflict, per se. <laughs> Make some big, big scene. <clears throat> but gentleness, correcting someone, gentleness, doing it because you love them, being patient. That's what, that is the will of God for you. That is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. James 3, this is wisdom from above. Right, this whole thing, you know, you get to act however you want to act and you say it's from God. Well, James 3 has something to say. Wisdom from above, right? Up there, something from up there affecting down here. He says it's pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. It's open to reason. Personally, that one, because when I'm right and you're wrong, why should I be open to reason? Because I know you're not right, because I'm right. It just doesn't make sense that we should be open to reason. But you know what? God expects that of us. Be open to reason. Oh, gosh. I think we're going to struggle with this. Can you picture, like, when, when, when people who, who coming out of the LGBT lifestyle who are just crazy and just whacked out, and they come in here, and God says, hey, be open to reason. Just be open to them. Don't, you got to shut them down right away. Listen to them. Can we do that? Or it's like, are we at this club, everyone's, you cut everyone out. No one gets in unless they look like us already. Like, unless you look like me and walk, like, you can't get in at all. Is that going to be our motto, or are we going to be, going to be open? I'm thinking about some new believers. Their, my, their life looks messy. They're still, they're sin. I mean, when I first got saved, there was some sin in my life. I just didn't know. It took time. God just didn't reveal all of my sin at once. He dealt with me one step at a time. And we need some mature believers who can walk with newer, younger believers and help them and not overwhelm them. Be open. I'm not saying... I'm not saying if they're living in sin, say, oh, yeah, that's the truth. No. But pray. Maybe God would have you just hold off and let God deal with them. I mean, I really love when, I, God, I've been praying for you, and, and God just dealt with you, and I don't even have to confront you. Praise God. That makes this work a lot easier. But we're so, we're so uptight, we're ready just to slam someone. Ready to, oh, that's not the Bible. Uh-uh. Open to reason, full of mercy, full of good fruits, impartial, sincere. Do you, like when the fruits of the Spirit and wisdom from above, do you guys, does that like, when you think about conflict, does that, do those things like flood you? Like, oh yeah, that's what conflicts. That stuff's evident in my life of conflict with people. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> we got these secret weapons that we just pull out of nowhere. And God's like, where did that come from? Oh, okay, well, let's, I need to deal with that. Romans 12, right? Do not be conformed to this world. I understand that's how the world fights, right? <clears throat> Guys, we're in a fight, and they're not going to fight fair. Do you guys, you guys believe that? The world is not going to fight fair. They're going to mock you, slander you, do all that stuff, and guess what? 
God says to love your enemies. Well, that ain't fair. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed. Our transformation is going to get tested. How transformed are we really? Are we really, for real? Have we been so changed and transformed by the Lord? Okay, here's a helpful tool. <clears throat> Ken Sandy, the slippery, slippery slope of conflict. This is just exposing further tendencies that we operate in. So if you look on the left side, you see our escape responses, what he calls peace faking. On the right side, you see attack responses, peace breaking. So in other words, when it comes to conflict, we either try to escape it or we start attacking it. We start fighting. But we're called to peacemaking, right? I'm going to read through these just real quick, make a couple comments on it. So as far as the escape responses... And along with the attack responses, I want you to know, right, these are defense mechanisms, and they're all rooted in fear. Just know that. All of these, whether you're trying to escape conflict or you're ready to attack in conflict, there's fear. You are operating in fear. What are you afraid about? Something has triggered you, and you're, you're in fear. So denial. That's one thing we do. There's conflict. We deny it. We avoid it. Act like it's not there. We stuff it. And it will literally eat you alive. Flight. We run away. We just get out, just run. Just run. Go move. Go to the other church. Go. Go. <laughs> move somewhere. Go. It'll still eat you alive. And then unfortunately, suicide. Think about that. Someone who commit suicide. There's so much conflict on the inside with self, with others, etc. that unfortunately, this is what they decide to do. The attack responses, right? Assault. Now we just, we intimidate people with our words, with our presence, with our fist, we start attacking. The second one, litigation, we'll file a lawsuit. I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 6 before you do that. But we, it happens in the church. We'll do that. We'll sue you. And it leads to murder. And you may say, well, I, I won't like, literally kill someone. Well, Jesus says in Matthew if you hate your brother, you've already you've murdered him. That's not okay with the Lord. Some peacemaking responses, though. <clears throat> and these are the ones that we're going to get into in the, fur, in the further chapters. We overlook offense. We overlook what's been done to us, how we've been hurt. Right? And when we over, it's really important, when we overlook it, we make a deliberate decision to not talk about it, dwell on it, or let it grow into pent-up bitterness. 
Some of us are saying, oh, I'm going to overlook it. And you, you're not overlooking it. You fooled yourself. You're still talking about it. You're still acting funny around that person. You're bitter. But you know what? It, here's the scary thing. The more you tell yourself that, like, you're over it and you're going to overlook it and you actually really haven't, like, you're deceiving yourself. You're walking in a measure of deception. Who wants to do that? Anyone? So either you have to learn to let it go or you need to have the conversation. Another response, a beautiful one, reconciliation. Right? This is when there's been hurt, there's been some damage done, and you actually have to meet. You've got to come together. And we'll hit that for sure later on in other chapters. The next one, negotiation. Right? If there's any kind of material possessions involved, and it gets kind of funny, right? Well, sometimes you've got to negotiate. You've got to work things through. That is in connection with arbitration. When two people, you can't find agreement with material issues, you ask for someone to be an arbitrator, to, to work it out, to find the middle ground. The one above it, mediation. Right? When two people can't reach agreement, you pull someone in. We'll get into that later on. The last one, peacemaking, it's about accountability. That's needed too. When some people just don't want to do it, and it's there, it's obvious, it's evident, they don't want to do it, we need leadership who will hold you to it. You need a friend, a brother or sister, who will hold your feet to the Word of God. I love this quote, Alexander Strach, again. Peace, not warfare, is to characterize our relationships as members of the body of Christ. Each member, then, is responsible for the peace and unity of the local church. Man, could we really say that peace, not warfare, characterizes our relationships with people? Like, man, oh yeah, I'm in peace with this brother. Yes, that... Could we, be, could we really say that? But most of us, there's this inner conflict, this tension that we have with whomever. And maybe it has to do with just the conflict you already have with yourself, the conflict you have with God. As I was praying about tonight, I felt like this, this phrase, I wrote it here on my sticky note, that this phrase came to me that you have to find where your peace has been disrupted. Somewhere in your walk with God, there's been a disruption of peace. What happened? Where is it at? For some of you, this phrase, it's in that closing paragraph. I call them spiritual agitators, where there's certain people. I, I feel, I, personally, this, this gets me on social media a lot. There are these preachers and leaders and whomever. I listen to them. They agitate my spirit. They, don't, they, they disrupt the peace of God in my life, so I don't listen to them. I, I don't need to research them. I don't need to call them. Whatever. And I, some of you are listening to certain preachers and teachers 
There are certain leaders in your life where they do not help settle you. They don't help promote uh, rest. They, they call you into restlessness where you feel like, go here, go, uh, 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 uh. you're all over the place. You're never settled. You're discontent about everything. You're all over the place. And there's absolutely no peace in your life, which is a huge component of the gospel. You're at peace with God. So what are, you, what are you fighting? What are you running around crazy for? So I want to take some time tonight to pray. Krista, could you come and play a little bit? I want to pray for, some, for, for those of you who feel that, who sense that the lack of peace in your life. There's been a disruption and maybe you just need to sit there and not respond and not come up here and you and the Lord can work it out. But there's a disruption in your relationship with God where the peace, it, it, you left it somewhere. You can't find it. And the Lord wants to put an end to that tonight. He wants to cut something off. Maybe he needs to bring some correction to you. Maybe you need to stop listening to so-and-so. So could you stand with me? If you feel like that's you and you want to come down to the altar, I want to pray for some of you. If you want to stay where you're at, that's fine as well. But let's just begin to worship the Lord. And ask God to reveal where is the disruption? Why is there disruption of peace? Father, I pray tonight in the mighty name of Jesus that you would cause this place to be a place of rest and peace. That you would cause every heart to be a place of rest and peace. God, we take a look again at the glorious, the beautiful gospel of Jesus. I pray for the revelation of Christ over every mind, over every heart. God, that you would begin to settle your people. God, that you would cause us to walk in green pastures, to sit by still waters. God, would you cause there to be peace within We hope this message has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning or other weekly gathering, know that you're more than welcome. And if you'd like other resources on or about this ministry, or for any deeper questions you may have, be sure to visit our website at hotfmlakeland.com.